1: I won't hug you because I don't want to get what you got. (laughs) She was DJ. How am I supposed to make fun of you after that? Um, Well, thank you for the worship, although I was a little offended when he quoted King David and looked at me, looked at DJ, then he looked at me and said, I was young, and now I'm old, and um, <laughs> he probably didn't mean that, um, brother, I'm sure I'm sure you didn't. Well, I wanted to come this Sunday, of course, because DJ turned 50. When I turned 40, it didn't bother me. When I turned 50, it didn't bother me. When I turned 60, when I turned 70, it didn't bother me. But this bothers me, my son turning 50. I just can't hardly believe it. Um, I'm not old enough to have a son who's 50. Apparently, I am. But. Um, We're very proud of DJ and Gigi and Elijah and very thankful they're here. Uh, I love coming to this church and I love the fact that you love your pastor. And um, I'm just very, very happy that they're here. And uh, you are a wonderful, wonderful group um, of people. And, you know, I couldn't have done what I've done all these years in ministry without my wife, Sally, behind me. And I'm very thankful for Gigi. Because, you know, uh, uh, they often say that anything that a man does it's you know, look behind and see, see the wife behind him. Not all wives mm-hmm. are like that. It's like the fellow who was, he and his wife went to a party. And they were coming home from the party and the guy went right through his stop sign. And there was a police officer there and so he pulled him over. And uh, he said, sir, do you know why I pulled you over? He said, no, I don't. He said, I need to see your license. He said, I don't have a license. And his wife leaned over and said, officer, don't listen to him. He says all kinds of stupid things when he's drunk. And um, so, <laughs> sometimes you, you don't need a supportive wife like that. But um, I'm thankful for, uh, for D.J. And I thought for sure he was going to say, we are moving down with our favorite child. Because our daughter lives down there. But, um, and that's not true. Um, favorite daughter, but I also have a favorite son. So, works out good. Would you take your Bibles? I invite you to turn to Matthew 21. I was praying about what to share with you this morning and then realizing it is Palm Sunday, um, I thought I would bring a Palm Sunday message. Um, Some call this the triumphal entry of Jesus. Some call it the um, coronation of Jesus. But we're in Matthew 21. We're going to read the first 11 verses, if you'd follow along. And when they drew near unto Jerusalem, and were come to Bethpage under the Mount of Olives, they sent Jesus, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, go into the village opposite you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied and a colt with her, loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say anything unto you, you shall say, the Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, behold thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, a colt in the full of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, put on them their clothes, and they set them thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way, others cut down branches from the trees and spread them in the way the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Father, we ask that you would show us our Savior, that you would show us ourselves, that you would open up your word to us through your Holy Spirit, We thank you, Lord, for a group of people that love you and love your word. As we spend these next few moments, may you teach us and minister to us and convict us where need be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Palm Sunday. I suspect if you asked the average American on the street, what's Palm Sunday? You would get all kinds of different answers. Some would say, well, it's just a traditional time. It comes before Easter. Uh, If you talk to, say, quote-unquote religious people, they might be able to give you a little more of an understanding of Palm Sunday. So when I say this, I'm not talking about a church like this where you have been taught the Bible. But I would suspect that many religious people have no clue what Palm Sunday is really about. To them, it's just a religious holiday. To them, it's just the Sunday before Easter. Uh, for the very religious people, it's the beginning of what they call Holy Week. But what exactly is going on with Palm Sunday? And why did Jesus actually do this? This is the last time in his earthly ministry that Jesus will come to Jerusalem. He's been in Jerusalem many times, but this is the last time. And he's coming for a very specific purpose, coming into the city of Jerusalem. Notice this event marks the ending of Jesus' earthly pilgrimage, his earthly pilgrimage. Verse 21, verse 1 of chapter 21, when they drew near unto Jerusalem were come to Bethpage unto the Mount of Olives, they sent Jesus to disciples. We don't know exactly sure where Bethpage is. It's disappeared since the first century. But it's somewhere near Bethany. It's somewhere near the Mount of Olives. And so as they get to this point, Jesus now is ready to descend, go through what they call the Kidron Valley, cross over, and go up into the Eastern Gate and go into Jerusalem. He will never leave the vicinity of Jerusalem after this, except going up to heaven in the ascension. Now what this marks is the last week of Jesus' ministry. Jesus had about, excuse me, a three year ministry. So the first year is the uh, year of inauguration. Who is is this Jesus? The second year is the year of popularity. This is when he feeds the 5,000 and people flock to him. And then the last year is the year of opposition, which will culminate in his crucifixion. If you never read the Bible before, if you never read the gospels before, and you picked it up, and you started in Matthew, and you started to go through Matthew and then all the Gospels, you would probably be shocked at the ending. If you never heard of Jesus, you never knew anything about it. He does all these good works. Um, He gives sight to the blind. Lame people walk. He heals all manner of diseases. And at the end of the story, before you get to the resurrection, Jesus Christ is put to death. And that's part of what's happening on Palm Sunday. Jesus is orchestrating every event of this day and of this week that will lead up to his crucifixion. He was not a victim. He was totally in charge. And so we see that Jesus came to Jerusalem for one purpose. That purpose is to die on the cross for my sin and to die on the cross for your sin. That's why he came. Later that week, Jesus prayed, now is my soul troubled, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, for this cause I came unto this hour, John 12, 27. It's it's not a happenstance that Jesus comes at this particular time in the calendar of Israel. He's coming to die on Passover day because he is the Passover lamb who has come to be slain for the sins of the world. Passover was the celebration of Israel being delivered from Egypt in bondage to Egypt. But the Passover lamb was a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to come and shed his blood to give not just national freedom, but to give spiritual freedom that we can be free from the penalty of our sin. And Jesus Christ is the great deliverer. Luke tells us that Jesus stops somewhere on the Mount of Olives and he wept over the city, Luke 19. When he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hast known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace. But now they are hid from thine eyes, for the days shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, encompass thee round, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee with the ground, and thy children within thee. They shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation." Jesus' event, Jesus coming into Jerusalem on this day is such an important event that all four Gospels recorded. So you kind of have to be a little bit of a you know, sleuth and kind of like a, a mystery writer, and you have to kind of put the pieces together from the four Gospels to get the whole picture. But as he ascends the Mount of Olives and Jerusalem comes into view, and I've stood on the Mount of Olives and looked across to the eastern gate that is now all boarded up. It's quite a sight when you suddenly see the city of Jerusalem. Jesus literally wept over the city because they would not accept him as their king and as their Messiah. You see, this was a time of national expectation. Do you ever wonder, and I often wonder if people who are quote-unquote religious or who have a little bit of familiarity with the Bible, I've often wondered what they think. I mean, if they come out and they celebrate Palm Sunday and, you know, Jesus is coming and what they call the triumphal entry, and within a week, the same people who cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna, are crying out, crucify him, crucify him. We will not have this man to reign over us. We were listening on the radio coming down and I heard Greg Laurie, the evangelist, preaching. He was preaching on Palm Sunday. And he made the statement that, you know, most people, the world doesn't want this man to reign over them. He said, America doesn't want this man to reign over them. He said, people don't want a righteous ruler. They want the person that they voted for. Uh, and, and then he said, no, I'm not talking about which election. Okay, so it's a nice thing about being a visiting speaker. You can kind of Say whatever you want to, but I have to be careful because D.J.'s my son. But anyways, but nobody wants this man, the world doesn't want this man to reign over him. And I wonder, is there somebody here? You don't want this man to reign over you. You want your life. You want to do what you want to do. And the people of Israel did not know the day of their visitation. But it was a time of expectation. You see, they were expecting the kingdom age. They were expecting a deliverer. But you see, a kingdom requires a king. Earlier in John's Gospel, Jesus fed the 5,000. If you remember that story, they came and they wanted to make him a king. On other occasions at Nazareth, they wanted to make him a king. But Jesus was coming not as the kind of king that they thought he would be, not as a national king, but he is coming as the one and true king. So Passover was the time when the Jews assembled at Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is filled to the brim. Hundreds of thousands of people are in Jerusalem at this time. Some have estimated maybe a million people, though that's kind of hard to believe where they would all fit. But it is a incredibly unusual crowd. I would say more so than normal because of Jesus and all the miracles that he has been doing. He has just raised Lazarus from the dead in Bethany, just a few miles away from Jerusalem. And in John chapter 11, the raising of Lazarus from the dead is the key event that explains the hysteria of the triumphal entry. It helps to explain why do you have all these people flocking and excited and praising God as we're going to see. And then at the end of the week, they do a 180 degree turn And it's just the opposite of what they were crying out. Many Jews went to Bethany, John tells us in John chapter 12, verse 9. They wanted to see Lazarus. I mean, if you had somebody in a nearby town that you heard and you got all these reports that here was a man who had been dead four days, buried in a tomb, and then some preacher comes by and calls him out of the grave, and he's alive, I think many of us would wanna go see this for ourselves. So a number of people had left Jerusalem and gone to Bethany, and now the Passover pilgrims are coming on the road to Jericho on the way up to Jerusalem. So you have to understand, every year these Passover pilgrims would make their way up to Jerusalem for the Passover, but there's more excitement now because of what Jesus has done in raising Lazarus from the dead. Now on the way, on what we call the Jericho Road, Jesus meets two blind men and he heals them. This is when he meets Zacchaeus, and uh, Zacchaeus, the wee little man who climbed up into a sycamore tree, many of us learned that in Sunday school. So a number of exciting things have happened as Jesus is making his way up to Jerusalem. And so these miracles add to the account of Lazarus and all the other things he's been doing and so, the people of Israel, the Jews, are excited. They're ready for a national deliverer. And maybe this is who they've been waiting for. But Jesus sovereignly orchestrated all of these events in his entry into the city. So, in verse 2, he says, Go into the village opposite you. Straightway you shall find an ass tied in a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say anything unto you, you shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. Well, this again shows Jesus' omniscience. He can't physically see where these animals are. You say, is is he telling, and we think it's probably Peter and John, but we don't know for sure. Is he telling them to go steal these animals? No, he's going to borrow them. And by what he tells the disciples, this is probably a home of believers. These are probably people who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. And say, so you just tell them the master has need of him, the Lord has need of them, and they will let them go. And that's exactly what happened. And he even gives more detail in the Gospel of Mark. He sends forth two of his disciples, saith to them, go ye into the city, and there shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. And whosoever he shall go, uh, wheresoever he shall go in, say ye to the good man of the house, the master saith, where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared there and make ready for us. So even in the preparation of the Passover meal, Jesus is sovereignly orchestrating all of these events. And Jesus had repeatedly told his disciples why he was going to Jerusalem. He told them, I'm going to Jerusalem to die on the cross. Matthew chapter 20, Jesus going up to Jerusalem took the 12 disciples apart in the way and said to them, behold, we go up to Jerusalem and the son of man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes. They shall condemn him to death, shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again. But the disciples, they couldn't put the pieces together. They couldn't comprehend it. Now we tend to be critical of them. But remember, we're looking back at the events. We already know what happened. They don't have that perspective. And the other thing is, they don't have the Holy Spirit in the way that we have the Holy Spirit, because the Spirit didn't come until Jesus was glorified. He didn't send the Spirit. So we actually have more spiritual insight, and we have the completed scripture. So we shouldn't be too critical of the disciples. We too would not have understood what Jesus was saying. Jesus' entry into the city fulfilled prophecy. Fulfilled prophecy. Verse four, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, tell ye the daughter of Zion, behold thy king cometh unto thee meek and sitting upon an ass and a colt, the full of an ass. So the disciples went and did as Jesus told them. Now you can search the gospels, the only time you're gonna see Jesus riding anything. Most of the time you would see Jesus walking. That's pretty much how they went around in the first century in the area of Israel. The festival pilgrims that were going up to the city for Passover would walk. And so Jesus at this time comes into the city riding a donkey. You know, kings, great deliverers, they wouldn't ride a donkey. They would ride probably a white charger or some kind of horse. What kind of king is this riding a donkey down among the people? Because Jesus didn't come to slay. He came to save. He was coming to Jerusalem to die. You say, okay, the text here says that this was fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. So the question we should ask is, what prophet? Well, the prophet is Zechariah. Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. The phrase, he is just and having salvation, literally says in the Hebrew, showing himself a savior. Showing himself a savior. This is why Jesus came the way he did. Yes, he was coming as the king, But he wasn't coming to conquer Rome. He was coming to conquer the hearts of men. He was coming to conquer Satan and sin. He was coming to bring salvation. He was coming as a savior. You know, the book of Zechariah is a fascinating book. It's really a book of prophecy. The word Zechariah means, his name means, the Lord remembers. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 is this passage here. That he fulfilled but if you read Zechariah and you start in verse 10 and go to verse 17 it's talking about the second coming of Jesus because often in the Old Testament you see the principle of dual fulfillment or double reference you can have one passage of scripture and part of it will speak of the first coming and part of it will speak of the second coming and that's what you have in Zechariah chapter 9 verses 10 through 17. John MacArthur calls the book of Zechariah the most complete Old Testament revelation of the end Another reason why people were anticipating a king was because of the book of Daniel and the 70 weeks prophecy of Daniel. So they could kind of calculate the time from the time of Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the wall to the coming of the prince is what Daniel says. So there was this excitement, there was this anticipation and surely if this Jesus raises people from the dead, he must be that great deliverer. He must be that king. And so, what was Jesus doing? He was deliberately displaying himself and claiming that he was the promised king of Israel. And as we know, Jesus isn't just the king of Israel; he's the king of kings and lord of lords. And won't it be a great day when Jesus finally returns at the second coming and? openly shows the world who he is, and we will rule and reign with him, and he will prove to be the king of kings and the lord of lords." But they were not expecting that kind of king. They wanted somebody to come and throw off the hated Gentile Romans. They thought a king because the Old Testament predicted that there would be a Messiah who would come who would rule over the nations and who would bring peace to Jerusalem and to Israel. But they didn't understand that his coming was in two phases. And this is the first coming of Jesus. Zechariah 9.9 also says, Jesus did not enter the city with an army following him. How did he come into the city? In the midst of pilgrims, festival pilgrims, this throng of people who are coming into Jerusalem to. Celebrate the Passover, not realizing that here was the Passover lamb, the true Passover lamb, the one whose blood would be shed to pay for their sins. He was truly proclaiming why he was coming, and he was truly proclaiming who he was, but it was totally lost on the people. If you notice in verse 6, the disciples did as Jesus commanded them. They went and did as Jesus commanded them, brought the ass and the colt and put, them on their clo- put on them their clothes, and they sat him upon them. Now you get into the actual entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. So what you find is a mixture of excitement and confusion. Remember that. Excitement and confusion. The people are coming together, they're They're all excited, this is that time of celebration. It was normal for many people to go out and welcome the festival pilgrims, different groups of Jews that were coming up to Jerusalem. It was a time sort of of national celebration, an exciting time. And you will notice there are two groups of people. If you look in verse eight, and a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them in the way. So they're taking off their outer garments, they're throwing them down in front of Jesus, they're breaking off, that's why I call Palm Sunday, and they're breaking off branches and they're laying them down or they're waving them before Jesus. But look at verse nine. And the multitudes that went before and that followed. The multitudes that went before and that followed. So there's a group of Jews coming out of Jerusalem to meet Jesus and these festival pilgrims. And there's another group coming with Jesus into Jerusalem. So these two masses of humanity surge together like two waves of the sea. And there's Jesus on a donkey right in the midst of them. And they're waving palm branches and they're getting all excited and they're all caught up in the moment. It's a direct fulfillment of Zechariah 9 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, the king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey. And so the people are going out, even in fulfillment of Scripture, but they are all excited. Matthew tells us of these two groups that are coming together. And then Luke adds this, when he was come nigh even to the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. In other words, the people that are coming are probably telling people about Lazarus and we've seen Lazarus and the people coming out to meet this Jesus who maybe some of them have never seen before but they've heard about him and they've heard about all his miracles and the other group coming up with them uh, from Bethany and coming into Jerusalem are telling them and there's just this Excitement, there's just this electricity that is going through the crowd as they meet Jesus. And this other group is surging out of the city, John chapter 12. On the next day, much people that had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him. So get the picture. One group coming up, another group coming out, they meet together, and there's just this electricity Is he going to go in and throw off the Romans? Is he going to march into Pilate's Hall? Is he going to deliver us from these hated Gentiles? This is what many people believed. I think there's two primary reasons why there was this surge of emotion, and I think we see that in religious, quote, unquote, people today. Some of the response came from religious tradition, tradition, you know, the word Hosanna means save now, or deliver now is what it means. They're getting that from the, what they call the Hillel, the Psalms of Ascent, Psalm 113 to 118. These are Psalms that the Jews would either sing or quote as they were moving up to Jerusalem, and they are filled with great meaning. They were also used as a traditional welcome from the group that's going out to meet the festival pilgrims coming in they would sing or they would say these psalms, the Hillel, psalms of ascent. They were quoting from Psalm 118, verses 25 to 26, but they didn't really know what it meant. It's like people who celebrate Easter Sunday. I mean, what in the world do bunnies have to do with Easter? You know, <laughs> And I'm not condemning you if you give your kids chocolate bunnies. I like chocolate bunnies. I think there's two things that are going to be in heaven for sure, chocolate and coffee. So you can check that out when you get there. I can almost guarantee that, maybe. But they didn't understand. Like a lot of people are going to be celebrating Palm Sunday today. They're going to be celebrating Easter Sunday, Lord willing, next Sunday. And they don't have a clue about the real meaning of it, because they've never met the Savior. What's interesting is if you were to read Psalm 118 verses 25 to 26, but then you go back a little bit and read Psalm 118 verses 22 to 24, you would see that that psalm also predicts the Messiah's rejection. So all of this was prophesied in the Old Testament. But so many of the Jews, they didn't really know their Bible. Do you know your Bible? How do you know what Pastor DJ is telling you every Sunday is the truth. Now, I know it's the truth, because he's my son. But um, I even tell people in our church, I say, how do you know? You need to bring your Bible to church, and you need to, you need to open it, and you need to follow along to find out if I'm, this is really what I'm talking about. And you need to know the Bible for yourself. They quoted the scripture, but they neither understood it in their minds nor did they believe it in their heart. Um, We have a wana at our church, and the kids memorize tons of verses. But we're always concerned that not only do they have it hidden in their heart, but that they really believe it, and they come to know Jesus. So some of this is coming out of this religious tradition. Some of it's coming out of national patriotism. They want a deliverer. John chapter 12, the people, therefore, that were with him when he called Lazarus out of the grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. For this cause, the people also met him, for that they heard that he had done this miracle. Luke 19 says, goes on to say, they began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works which they had seen. Now, it specifically talks in the passage about coming up and seeing Jerusalem in the Gospels. And like I said, it's quite a sight when you would come up over the the Mount of Olives and they'd come up, because you always go up to Jerusalem. So they come up the Jericho Road, they come up to Jerusalem, and as you peek over the Mount of Olives, there's the city of Jerusalem before you. And this adds to that fervor and adds to that excitement. You know, people are like that, aren't they? We've seen this, unfortunately, in many areas of our country. People can get all excited, you know, mob violence and, and all excitement like that. There's a passage in Acts where they got all excited and they drug some of the believers into an, into an arena. And it says in Acts, I just can't, off top of my head recall the chapter, that a lot of the people didn't even know why they were there. But they were just excited and screaming. Because we tend to follow others. It's like the middle school that, um, the middle school girls began to experiment with putting on lipstick. And um, one girl started doing it, and the other girls kind of saw that, and then they would go into the girls' room, and they would put on their lipstick, and then they would put their lips up against the mirror. And pretty soon, the mirrors were just covered with these lipstick, and the, the, the principal was getting very upset. So one day, she called all the girls into the girls' room with the custodian, said, you girls are getting your lipstick on these mirrors all the time. And it's a hard job for the custodian to clean it. So I'm going to show you how hard it is for him to clean it. So he takes a long handled brush and he dips it in the toilet and he brushes the mirrors. They had no more lipstick on the mirrors after that. Say, what's that got to do with the message? Not a thing. I just want to see if you're with me, Okay. And so they're all caught up in this excitement, and is Jesus going to throw off the Romans? You see, this is what happened in Israel. This is why people would flock to Jesus, the feeding of the 5,000. They were all excited about his miracles, but they weren't excited about his message. They weren't excited about his person. Some churches, not this church or our church, they'll come together, and they'll talk about all the things Jesus is going to do for you, he's going to make you healthy and wealthy and wise and... They never talk about repentance, never talk about sin, never talk about judgment, never preach on hell. It's a false religion. But see, Jesus came to free us from sin. You know, John Maccabeus, the great freedom fighter of Israel in the intertestamental period, he had a great victory over the Syrians. And when he came into Jerusalem, they greeted him the same way. So, it doesn't mean that the people of Israel were excited about Jesus or thought he was indeed their Messiah. But Jesus sovereignly provoked these events because his purpose was to die. John 12 tells us that he and the other disciples, meaning John, did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him, that they had done these things unto him. So what does Jesus do when he gets to Jerusalem? Well, Matthew's account kind of seems to indicate that he goes right into the temple and cleans out the temple, shakes out the money changers. But, But in reality, he did that the day after. Mark 11 tells us, Jesus entered in Jerusalem into the temple, and when he had looked around about all things, Now, eventide was come, evening's coming. He went out to Bethany with the twelve. Talk about an anticlimax. All this excitement, and Jesus comes, and he goes into the temple, and he looks around, and he leaves. And he goes to Bethany, very likely the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus probably explains why Jesus wasn't arrested by the Romans at this time. They didn't perceive him as a threat. Very likely, his procession melted into the mass of people, just like waves of the sea and just sort of disseminated. And Jesus moves through the crowd, goes to the temple, looks around, and he goes back to Bethany. And so the next day, he does not confront... The Roman authorities, he confronts the Jewish leaders and their hypocrisy. And that's when he goes into the temple. And that's when he cleanses the temple. He did it at the beginning of his ministry, and he does it now during the last week of his ministry. And he did that because he knew that would stir up the Jews who already hated him, who already wanted to kill him, that this would bring that to a fever pitch. You see, they wanted Jesus on their own terms. There's A lot of people like that today. Oh, I'll follow Jesus, but I don't don't want to get into all this, you know, I mean, really, I don't want to change my lifestyle. I'm okay to pray the prayer and and not go to hell, but um, it doesn't work that way. Faith without works is dead. You can't just pray a prayer and think you're good for eternity. Can you pray a prayer and be saved at that moment? Absolutely. But saving faith always follows, works always follow saving faith and precede saving faith. They wanted a Messiah who would fulfill their expectations. Do you realize Jesus is under no obligation to fulfill your expectations? He's not. We're here to fulfill his will. Now, he's a wonderful Savior. And he will bless you in ways you can't even imagine if you come to faith in him. And if you decide you're gonna follow him with your life, but he will not bend his will to our whims. He will shape our will to follow him. These same people who hailed him as Messiah cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Luke 23. Oliver Cromwell said to a friend, do not trust to the cheering for those persons would shout as much as if you or I were going to be hanged. <laughs> the fickled crowd. Even though Jesus announced his coming arrest, scourging, crucifixion, the people involved were accountable for their actions. So at this point, the Pharisees are totally frustrated. John 12, the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, perceive ye how ye prevail nothing, Behold, the whole world is going after him. And they, in essence, were saying, We're getting nowhere. And so they hardened their heart. They had to destroy Jesus. He threatened their very religious existence, He threatened their legalistic religious system. You know what happens in this church and what happens in the churches I've pastored? You will get some visitors and they'll come here for a while. But as your pastor, Begins to preach on sin and repentance and giving your life to Christ and doing God's will, not our will, those people will begin to disappear. Because you see, they want a Jesus of their own imagination. They want a Jesus who doesn't it doesn't cost, they want a salvation that doesn't cost them anything. Is salvation totally free? Absolutely. But when you accept Jesus Christ as Savior, you're also accepting him as the Lord of your life. And James says, faith without works is dead, being alone. You say you have faith, show me your works. He says, in essence, if you have faith without work, can that kind of faith save you? And his answer is no. Saving faith is always followed by works. And so you can come to Jesus on your own terms. I want to ask you a very personal question. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Have you come to the point where you recognize that I'm a hopeless, helpless, wicked sinner? Because for some people, that's very offensive. They don't don't even want to hear that. They want to hear that they're a pretty good person. They want to hear that I'm, I'm not as bad as some, but I'm better than most. But the Bible says all have sinned, all have sinned and fall short sure of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. Not me, not your pastor. No, not one. We are all hopeless, helpless sinners. And our only hope is in Jesus Christ, our Savior, who came on Passover week to die on, on Passover so that he would be the Pass and fulfill the type of the Passover lamb who gives his life for the sins of the world. There's only one sacrifice God will accept. He's not going to accept your baptism. He's not going to accept your good works. He's not going to accept all the things that you think that you do. You're a good family member, a good mom, a good dad, a good grandpa, whatever. The only sacrifice he will accept is the sacrifice of his one and only son. Do you know there are many, many good religious people who are totally lost? Totally lost. They've never committed their life to Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. There aren't many rows to heaven. There aren't many religions that all come to the same place. That's the lie of the devil. It's only through Christ. Father, I pray that every person in this room can point to a time in their life where they understood the gospel, that Christ died for their sin, was buried, and rose again, They recognize that it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy that he saves us. For by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Lord, what a wonderful Savior we have. I pray if there's some here that think their religion is going to get them to heaven, or maybe some here that are still struggling with the whole idea of Jesus and who He is, and through your Holy Spirit, you would awaken their heart to faith. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
2: Amen. Thank you, Dad. I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Maybe you have a need to know Christ as your Savior. Today is the day of salvation. Maybe this is a reminder of what our faith is all about, and you need to make a recommitment today. Would you stand as we sing together? If you have a need, the altar is open. Our deacons are here. Our deacons' wives are available. Whatever your need, don't wait. Do business with God right now. That chorus one more time, I just want to ask you, as I Cindy continue to play. I just want to we're sing one more time in just a second, but I just want to ask you, what is it that's keeping you from trusting Christ as your Savior? Or if you're a Christian, what is it that is keeping you from acknowledging Him? and serving Him now. You know you're going to stand before Him someday. You want to stand in the righteousness of Christ. It's available to you, but today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to get right with God. So I want to just ask you again, we're going to sing this chorus, but if you have a need, don't wait. Make that decision today. we thank you that you've loved us so much that you sent Jesus not only to be born in a manger but to live the life that we cannot live. God to present himself as an offering to you for all of our sin. Father, we praise and thank you that you accepted that offering, the sinless sacrifice of Jesus Christ so that by his stripes we can be healed, that we can be forgiven, that we can have eternal life today. Father, I pray that we would God, this um, Passion Week, God, that we would be ever uh, reminded this week as we should be every week of what it is that you did to show us your love and the way that you provided the one way, Jesus, that we can be right with you, that we can be forgiven, that we can have eternal life. And God, either to receive that for the first time into our hearts and trust in Christ or for those of us who are already saved, God, to use that as motivation for our worship and for our service. We love you, God, we praise you. We ask this all in Jesus' name, amen. Again, we invite you back tonight for 6.30 for our kids' program. Thank you, Dad. You are dismissed. God bless
0: That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you'd like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. If you've never joined us in person, we have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m. and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our wanna program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. Again, we thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you soon. But until next time, stay faithful.